right, we are going to work through chapter 3 of uh, the book of Esther. I'm going to give you some, some background, and then we will work through it. Way of reminder, the book of Esther comes to us. We do not know the human author. We do not know. Uh, some say Mordecai. Some say Nehemiah. Some say Ezra. We actually do not know who wrote it. We know that God is the divine author, of course. You'll remember that God's people, at least many of them, are not living in the promised land. They were, God's people were taken away by the Babylonians about a hundred years before this. And they were taken away because of the disobedience of kings, of God's people. They disobeyed, and so God said, here's judgment upon you, my discipline, my judgment upon you, because you disobey. And He sent many prophets to come and say, repent, repent, repent. Don't do that. And they didn't listen. And so they were taken away. God then raised up the Persian Empire to overtake the Babylonians. That's how He judged the Babylonians with the Persians coming in. And the first Persian king, God worked in his heart in a great way and gave great favor among God's people. And they were told, go back to your land. Of course, it was still under the Persian rule, but go back to your land. You can build your temple. You can worship. You should do that. And God even worked in such a way in the people that they were supposed to give some of their riches to the Israelites as they would go back. And so, about 50,000, a percentage, but again, it was a small percentage of God's people went back. There were those who didn't obey God, just like the kings before, just like the people before, just like you, just like me. They did not obey the voice of their God. They stayed in this land. And there is always a consequence for our sin. And part is what happens here in the book of Esther. So after that first king, a couple kings later, we have King Ahasuerus steps on the scene. King Xerxes. And he is reigning and ruling. He does not have the same kindness towards God's people. At least not yet. And that's when the book of Esther happens. Chapter 1, we saw that King Ahasuerus reigned from sea to shining sea. He pretty much ruled everywhere, except for where the Greeks were. He didn't quite get there. But the author in chapter 1, he doesn't mention that because he wants to show us in these first few verses how great, how awesome, how glorious it seems that Ahasuerus is. But as we talked about, things were not as they seemed. And by verse 9, Queen Vashti is called in. He wants to gloat about how great he is by saying, hey, look at my amazingly good-looking wife, my queen. I want her to come in, probably wearing only her crown to show off how great he is. And she doesn't come, God providentially working in her life that she had purpose to reject the king's order, even though that could cost her her life. So then we saw in the providence of God that we saw, of course, that there were the, the drunk king, his drunk buddies, then come up with a great plan that we are going to send out an edict that all women will obey their husbands and the men will be the head of the home. And all the women said, Amen. Correct? No. And many of the men said, Ouch. Because <laughs> it didn't go well, I'm sure. But even the people who were giving advice to the king, this is all the providence of God working. We saw the peril of pride with King Ahasuerus and how he quickly fell. We saw the different people in chapter 1 where they had purpose, 
And it was all in God working the the hand inside the glove, the one who is working. So this letter goes out, and we ended chapter 1 talking about how Jesus is the great king. He's a better king than Ahasuerus. Last week in chapter 2, if you're not with us, we were able to cover that what then happens about four years after Vashti had stepped down or been taken down from the throne, we see that the king had tried to go to Greece and he was walloped. He got beat by the Greeks. He comes back. He spent a lot of money. He's discouraged. He thinks, ooh, I just wish I had Vashti. She's so good looking and she makes me feel good. And she's gone because, again, in the providence of God, when the Persians made a law, what couldn't happen? Could that be taken back? It couldn't. So she still can't be queen. He's sad. So the young men say, ah, we've got a great plan. We're going to get all the young ladies, all the virgins. We're going to bring them to the king, and he's going to choose the one that pleases him the most. Even this is the providence of God working. We talked about before how chapter 2 just has this gross feeling about it and how the virgins are gathered and taken. Again, you live in this land. You do not have a choice. You're taken. But we found out we were introduced to Mordecai and Esther, and we talked about how Esther had two names, Hadassah and Esther. She had a Persian name and a Jewish name, and really that's the idea of the book, and that's the idea of our lives. Are we going to live like the world, and be, or are we going to be God's people? That's part of the question that we're going to see. Un, it's going to get unfolded throughout the answer. But we see that Esther and Mordecai both were in a pretty bad spot. They're, they're the family before them were the ones who didn't return as they should have. So Esther, most likely born here. Mordecai, most likely born here, maybe in Susa or near there. We saw that another unique thing about Esther, she didn't have a mom and dad. And so Mordecai raises her. Their situation is rough. But the Lord was working. And she was taken. And immediately we see the providence of God because everywhere she goes, she has favor from God. Everybody looks at her and they want to help her, even the, guys, the, the, the guy who's over the women. Haggai, he wants to help and he even recommends what things she should take and she listens. But we talked about how terrible it would be for a young virgin to be taken to the king, have one night to try to please him, and if he's not pleased, you become a concubine forever and you do not get married and your life is pretty much over. But we see the grace of God working in Esther's life that she in one night wins the king. And ultimately, what God is doing is working to save His people. The end of chapter 2 had Mordecai, which again, he just happened to be sitting in the right place at the right time. Is there such thing as coincidence? No. These two guys get a great idea. Their pride. They say, we're going to take out the king. Mordecai hears it. He tells it to Esther. Esther tells the king. It gets investigated, and they are put on the gallows, which would be large spikes most likely, and stuck on those spikes and killed. But what was interesting was at the end, it does say that Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. It's not like Esther went running in and said, guess what? Guess what I found out? She's again a sweet girl who loves Mordecai and says, Mordecai found this out. And the chapter ended, and we don't see anything happening to Mordecai. What would you think? If, if somebody saves the king, should they get some reward? Generally, yeah. If you save the king, usually that would get, get you an apple. Something. 
But notice that it was recorded in the book of Chronicles in the presence of the king. It was written down and nothing happens. Keep waiting. And that begins chapter 3. I'm going to read through the text and then we're going to work through it. Esther chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. After these things, what we just talked about, five years later. Esther has been queen for about five years. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down and pay homage. Verse 3, Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Verse 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur. That is, they cast lots. Before Haman, day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charged of the king's business that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring off of his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you and the people also to do with what as seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month, and an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script and every people in its own language. We've heard that before. It was written in the name of the king, Ahasuerus, and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was used was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and a decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. That's bad news. You ever get bad news? You ever get hard news? Five years Esther has been queen. Mordecai seems to have his place with some official position. He's at the king's gate. Life is pretty good right now. 
And there's a day that bad news comes and it changes everything. Let's work through this verse by verse and see what God may have for us this morning. Chapter 3, verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite. Let's stop there. Good place to stop. Chapter 2 ends with Mordecai discovering a plot, going to the king, found out to be true. They kill the bad guys, the traitors. And Mordecai is not given any reward. And then there's chapter 3. So when we read chapter 3, it should say, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted who? Whom? Huh? Mordecai. It should say Mordecai. It doesn't say Mordecai. Why doesn't it say Mordecai? How many of you think this is a typo? How many of you in your life when things don't go the right way, you say, Lord, I think you missed it? Thank you, Miss Didi. God, that's a typo. Lord, this should be Mordecai. Lord, I should have gotten that job. Lord, this should have been Mordecai. That person shouldn't have gotten sick. That person should not have died. Lord, I, I, I trust You, but I know You're busy. I know You're busy up there, God. And so, maybe this slipped through. Does anything slip through with God? How many of you have heard this before? How many of you will say that when it comes to prayer that you don't pray because you don't want to bother God with small things? You ever thought that? You ever think about that? How foolish are we? Now, me, yes. I am very, very, very limited in what I can do and think and how many things I can think about. I don't want to hear any amens from this region. I'm very limited. God is not limited. It's not hard for him. In fact, does he learn anything? He doesn't even learn. So when it's like, oh, I'm going to make my request known. Oh, I don't know if he can. He already, what? He knows. This should say Mordecai. At least we think so. But again, we commonly see the world one way and God commonly reminds us that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Insert anything in here in your life that doesn't make sense to you. And I'll tell you what, may God give you the eyes of faith to see His providence working in it. Even this weekend, it didn't make sense to get a phone call that Carrie had a heart attack so quickly after he just had open heart surgery in the providence of God. Heather's sister Misty and Phil had come down and arrived last night for a family barbecue to yesterday, or they, Friday, for a family barbecue. They were here already. One small example of the providence of God that it's hard to see. Okay, enough there. Let's go. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman. Okay, Lord, you're, you're in control. The Agagite, the son of Hamadatha. All right, when you saw that, when you heard that, how many of you knew exactly who this was? You're like, Haman... H-Dog, how we doing? The Agagite, you're like, oh yeah, Haman the Agagite. That makes sense. This is definitely who should be promoted. No, we don't know who this guy is and why he's on the scene. But when we see people in Scripture, especially in the book of Esther, 
when they are described, right? Mordecai, the Jew, that's going to be important. So when here, Haman, the Agagite, that's going to be important. Why? How many of you asked the question, why? You thinking right now, why? Ian's thinking, why? Thinking, why? Good. Many of you thought, 1 Samuel, we're going to 1 Samuel. Okay, go back to 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9. First place that came to everybody's mind. Mine too. Especially after I looked in the commentaries. Oh yeah, 1 Samuel chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. We're actually going to go through a couple of chapters in 1 Samuel to set the context for what's going on in Esther chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 9, listen to this. There was a man of Benjamin. What's Benjamin? Help me out. What's Benjamin? Thank you. Roy gets a bonus point. Whose name was Kish. That name we heard before in Esther. The son of Abiel, the son of Zerah, the son of Bekarath, the son of Aphia, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. Verse 2. And he had a son whose name was, help me, Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. Good-looking guy. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Pretty solid guy, right? Okay. You're like, that's not Agagite. That doesn't make any sense. Hold on. Turn to chapter 10, 1 Samuel chapter 10. Let me give you context real quick. The people have asked, we want a king. God said, I'm supposed to be your king. They said, no, no, we want a king. Give us a king. So Samuel comes along and says, all right, you're going to get what you asked for. You're going to get a king. Starting in verse 20. Verse 20. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 20. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. What's a lot? It's a dice. Rolling of dice. You heard earlier when the men were reading Scripture, who determines how the dice lands? Do you believe that? Does that mean when you lose at Monopoly, or whatever game you're playing with dice, or whatever thing you're drawing from, who is determining that? God. So when you lose, he's teaching you something. Probably humility. Or that you have an anger problem. <laughs> Rolling the dice to find out. He brought the tribe of Benjamin here, verse 21, by its clans, and the clan of, Mat- of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. Rolling the dice to show that this is to be the king. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Verse 22, so they inquired again to the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. The lot lands on the king. He knows, Saul knows he's supposed to be the king. And guess where he is? He's hiding. Side note here, we're not going to get into this deep, but have you ever been chosen for something or you know clearly the Lord wants you to do something and you are hiding in the baggage? Mm Mm-hmm. Verse 23, then they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward, and Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people, and all the people shouted, long live the king, is what it says. Long live the king. He has been chosen. Turn to chapter 15. I know you're like, there's no Agagites. What are you doing? Just wait. That's how Saul becomes king. Do you remember who was related to Saul in our story? Mordecai. Mordecai goes back to King Saul. He's part of the tribe of Benjamin. So that tells you why Mordecai is linked to Saul. Now let's get into into chapter 15. Look at this. 
Chapter 15, 1 Samuel, verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people of Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of the land of Egypt. He's given us some background. What happened? God delivered them at the Passover, delivered Israel from Egypt. Do you remember that? God delivers them. And then what happened is right away, these people and this king attacked God's people. That's what he's saying. Okay, track with me. Now, go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, listen carefully, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. They are not to leave anything alive. Now, a side note here as well. Does that make you uncomfortable? If we're being honest, that makes us uncomfortable sometimes when we read that stuff. But once again, the Lord is sovereign and he does what he chooses. And these people attacked his promised people. And we're going to see what happens when they don't obey God. It's very important. Listen to this. Go down to verse 7 now. Look at this carefully. This is interesting. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. So does Saul win? He does. And he took Agag, uh-oh, we got him, Agagites, Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Did they obey God? They did not. The first big takeaway I want for you today to hear me clearly on this. When you do not obey God all the way, destruction comes. When you go as far as you think you should obey, because here's the thing, here's what Saul says. We didn't kill those things because they were good calves, they were good animals, and we were going to make sacrifices to you, God. We're going to sacrifice you. And the king, well, we didn't kill him, but we could get a king's ransom for him. Logically, that kind of makes sense. Here's what Samuel says a little further down, starting in verse 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is, is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Here's what he says. He's saying, you should have obeyed God and not looked at it from your perspective and then did it your way. You should have completely obeyed God, not gone as far as what makes sense to you. You tracking with me so far? So they left Agag alive and some of the people alive. Now Agag himself actually gets killed because Samuel then says, bring him forward and he hacks him up. But there are others that they left alive. Now turn back to Esther. Verse 1, and these things King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. If we know 1 Samuel, here's what we should say. Uh-oh. This probably isn't going to go well for God's people. Think about that for a second. This is not going to go well for God's people. Verse 2, and all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. 
Everyone has to bow. And again, if you have to have laws to make people bow to you, guess what? You're not a king worth following. You should want to bow. That's how Jesus is with us, is he not? Now, there is a day, of course, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, but that's because even on that day, everybody will see who he truly is. But when he reveals himself to us, we want to bow to our king. This guy has to have the king come along and say, all right, everyone has to bow to Haman. For the king commanded it, but Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants, verse 3, who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? Verse 4, and when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. They told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them he was a Jew. Here's what he said. I am a Jew, so I will not bow down to him. He has been bowing to the king over and over again. Do not say for a second, this is a religious, I'm too great thing, or my religion won't allow me to do this. He has been hiding the fact that he's a Jew, has he not? He has been hiding it, and he told Esther. What did she need to do? Hide it. But now, this guy comes through, who's from the line, look at this now, he's from from the line of where God's people should have wiped them out. Now again, if you were from his line, if Agag was one one of your descendants, and you should have wiped him out, or they should have wiped him out, and you were from that, and then he didn't get... Your people didn't fully die, and then those people come around, and you go, oh, you're the Jewish people. You were the ones that killed a lot of our people. And you were supposed to kill all of us, and you didn't. My turn. My turn. Because why? Because Saul didn't obey God all the way. It's dangerous, folks. Very dangerous. Right? So we've got the, the old-time Hatfield and McCoys here. That's what we've got going on here, this hatred. So here's Mordecai. Don't be like Mordecai. Don't be like Mordecai. Don't hide who you are in Christ on important things. And then when this guy comes along, Haman, now all of a sudden I'm not going to bow. It's because I'm a Jew. Don't pull the Christian card on dumb things. Follow Jesus in the big things. Haman need to be following God in the big things. Or, I'm sorry, Mordecai should have been following God. He was hiding. He, right? we, we dress like everybody. We talk like everybody. We look just like the Persians. We look like the world. Oh, wait, I don't like this guy. No, no, I'm not bowing. I'm a Christian. I can't do that. Mm-mm. No. You should have been following God in the big things. So here's what happens. Haman gets angry. Verse 6, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai. He sees that Mordecai will not bow down and he becomes angry. He will not respect me. So when it was made known to him that he's from the Jews, here's what he said. He sought to kill, destroy all the Jews. In the first month, so here's what they do. So here's what Haman does with his family. Okay, so now what we're going to do, we're going to roll dice. We're going to roll dice because we're going to go to the spirits of divination, all these different gods, and they're going to tell us what we should do. Now, little does Haman know who determines the dice. God does. The Lord our God. So they're rolling dice to figure out when are we going to wipe out the Jews? What's the date? And it's going to be 11 months later. There's going to be time for God's plan to work out for his people. You ever ever had something in your life and you said, it's supposed to happen now. And then you realize that the timing wasn't right and that's why it didn't happen. You ever had something like that? Amen. Amen. 
That's because God is determining what's going on. He's providentially taking care of you. He loves you. And He's watching over you. He's watching over His people. They're throwing dice. They think, okay, we got a plan. Verse 8, Then Haman said to Ahasuerus, There's a certain people scattered abroad, dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws. There's some truth and some lies in this thing. Are there people spread out? Yes. Are they different people? Yes. Do they have laws that are different? Yes. But as far as we know, they're obeying. They're blending in. It's one man didn't obey, and Haman's upset about that. So, oh, they all, none of them obey. Well, actually, they were obeying. So here's what he says. He goes to Ahasuerus. Now look at this closely. He says this. If it pleases the king, let it be decreed that they would all be destroyed. You know what Ahasuerus doesn't do? He doesn't say, who are they? What people? He doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't go any, dig any deeper. He just says, oh, it's good for me? Yeah, all right. And, and also, Haman says, you know what? I'll give you 10,000 talents of silver. That would have been two-thirds of what the kingdom brought in with taxes and things. So it's going to give me money? It's going to be good for me? Sure, do it. He gives his signet ring. That's important. It's like your signature. So whatever he has with his signet ring, that's the way it's going to go. And once a law is made, can it be taken back? It can't. He says the money, verse 11, the money is given to you and the people do what seems good to you. Go ahead, Haman. Do whatever you want. I don't need to investigate. It's good for me. It's good for money. Good for business. Go ahead and do it. We'll get back to that in a minute. Verse 12, Then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month of an e- and an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written in the king's satraps and the governors and all the provinces and all the officials of all the peoples. Every province, own script, every people in its own language. Same thing with the decree about the wives. It's going to go to everybody. A copy was going to be read. It was delivered in Susa. And look at verse 15. The couriers went out hurriedly by the order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. The edict says, kill, destroy, annihilate everybody. Now let's have a drink and sit down. Injustice has been planned. And that's chapter 3. Not that encouraging. Guess what? Sometimes you look around at life and you go, not very encouraging. But chapter 4 comes. There are more chapters in your life. God is working more and more and more. He is working in ways that you do not see. So let me give you a few takeaways. Come back next week. We're going to see how God works in this situation, which is remarkable, the things that He does in His providence. But here's a few things I have for you. Don't be like the king. And what do I mean by that? It's pretty easy to judge Ahasuerus. It's pretty easy to say, look at this guy. He doesn't even research about the Jews. He just wants money. You know what? Ah, that guy, guess what? You're the same. You are. I am. We're the same. How? Do you ever put your stamp of approval, your signature, do you forward things in emails, Do you share things on Facebook without actually doing due diligence to find out what is really happening? There is so much gossip and slander that is all over the place, and it is sin. If you do not check into things and you're not talking about facts, you're putting your seal of approval on things. The stuff that we we repeat to other people, especially things that benefit us, especially if it's good for us financially. We're not that different. 
I also encourage you not to be like Haman. Haman has a great position. He's lifted up to be next to the king. And what does he want? He wants revenge. Some of you have relationships from the past and they still bother you. And if you could, you would take your revenge. I want you to be very careful. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. You be faithful. Also, don't have pride like Haman, that he is so much greater and everyone should bow. We all bow to Jesus and that's it. Let me also encourage you, don't be like Mordecai in this situation. Don't make a a big deal out of something small when you overlook the sin in your own life. And the last thing I want to encourage you with is this chapter feels out of control. It's bad news. It feels like bad news. And brothers and sisters, you guys have bad news all the time. Life is out of control. But I promise you that it's not. The same one who sits on the throne over everything, doesn't learn anything, is the same one who determines when you roll the dice. He is working in your life. When these trials come, it's a testing of our faith. That's what that's about. So the testing of your faith, when these things come, don't be lazy and don't be bought like the king was. That's a testing of your faith. Here's what I want to end with. Listen carefully. Ahasuerus was bought. When the world comes to you, tempting you with different things, tempting your flesh, don't sell out. Don't sell out to sin. Don't sell out to following the world. Listen to me carefully. When that happens, and it does all the time, when that happens, here's what you say. You say, I'm not for sale. I've already been bought by Jesus. I am not for sale, world. I'm not for sale, Satan. I'm not for sale, my flesh. I've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. I don't need that other stuff. I'm going to trust in the providential hand of my God. And when it's dark and when I can't see, I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm not for sale because Jesus bought me. Amen?